the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Caregiver SOS On Air, presented by the WellMed Charitable Foundation with nationally known gerontologist Carol Zernio and veteran broadcaster and attorney Ron Aaron. This program provides health, wellness, and other information for caregivers who are vital to the health and well-being of so many people across our country. Now, here are your hosts, Ron Aaron and Carol Zernio. Well, thank you so much for joining us today on Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron. Delighted to have you with us today. And we've got a really important topic we'll be taking up in a moment or two, addressing loneliness in caregiving. Carol Zerniel, our co-host, joins us. She's the executive director of the WellMed Charitable Foundation and a senior vice president for social activities at WellMed Medical Management. She's past chair of the board of directors of the National Council on the Aging and she's been a member of the Ray's Family Caregiving Advisory Council under the Federal Department of Health and Human Services. Carol has a master's degree in social gerontology with nearly 30 years' experience in the field of aging and caregiving. And Carol Zernio, loneliness is a topic we dance around on almost every show. You know, it's it's interesting how time has changed where we didn't talk about loneliness. And now that at the COVID, social isolation, loneliness, we all experienced it. We all felt it ourselves. Um, and I think early on in the pandemic, I think I even wrote a column about uh, now everybody knows what it's like to be a caregiver and cut off from everybody else. Boy, isn't um, that the case? So well, let's I welcome. Yeah, I can't think of anybody, you know, that I'd rather have to talk about the subject than Michael Splain. Well, Michael is the owner and principal of Splain Consulting. They're a small advocacy and government affairs firm based in Washington, D.C., he immediately prior to that, he's starting his company. Mike was director of state government affairs in the public policy division of the U.S. Alzheimer's Association, leading its grassroots network to accomplish state policy priorities, including comprehensive state Alzheimer's plans. We're delighted to have Mike with us. He's been a policy advisor for the Alzheimer's Disease International, active with ADI's World Health Organization, and he's done a whole lot more, hangs out in Columbia, Maryland, where he has his home office and from which he is talking with us today. In his bio, he says he hangs out there with his amazing wife, Sandy, enjoying occasional inspirational visits from his three daughters and granddaughter. So, Mike, thanks for joining us on Caregiver SOS On Air. Glad to be here. So now it's you have to tell us. Topic. <laughs> yeah, but you have to tell us about Sandy. Oh, uh, she uh, is a mathematics teacher. Uh, she puts up with me. Um, and as uh, frequently has been noted, uh, we've been happily married for 40 years, which out of 42 is pretty good. <laughs> well, Mazel Tov and congratulations to Thank you. you. So I'm curious uh, because, as Carol pointed out, uh, loneliness has long been an issue and psychologists and, and others will tell you that it can be a real killer to individuals. But thanks in some ways to the pandemic, more of us have an appreciation for that. Uh, how did you get involved in the loneliness issue, Mike? 
Well, you know, a lot of, uh, interestingly, as much as we're involved with caregivers and caregiving issues, uh, supporting some of our clients that are implementing evidence-based caregiver interventions, we've also done a lot of work in the last three years uh, with and for people living alone with dementia, which is its own social isolation, as you can imagine. Uh, we run an online community. We support an online community of people living alone with dementia. But one of the things we've learned in that is, uh, as one of our friends with dementia living alone says, there's living in a single person household and there's living alone. And I think uh, they're and they're different. And I think the same thing could be said for for caregivers that uh, social isolation is uh, sometimes the choices we make, sometimes the choices that are made for us. Uh, but uh, living isolated, to paraphrase our friend who lives alone with dementia, living isolated uh, is not necessarily the same thing as living with a, as a caregiver full time. What what are the differences? Well, I think uh, social connections. I mean, Dr. Uh, Barry Jacobs is one of the great thinkers about uh, about this issue of social isolation and caregiving. And you know, he says that uh, caregivers who connect, who stay connected. Now it's hard, right? I mean, you've got a full time and a half job uh, taking care of somebody living with dementia, supporting their life in many, many different ways that we can only imagine if we've never been there. Uh, but you know, there are some simple tricks. Uh, one lady I know, for example, who is a church person, managed to find a way to continue her life with her church, but she was frustrated. Every time she'd go to church, people would say, how can I help? And she couldn't think of anything off the top of her head. And one day she went home, pulled out a bunch of old recipe cards, and started writing out chores or actions that people could take to support her as a caregiver of her husband with Alzheimer's disease. And the next time she was at church, she had that ready answer. She didn't have to pull it out of her brain. She'd hand, hand them the deck of cards and say, these Pick are one. different ways in which you could support me. I love that. That's a great idea. Yeah, I think it, it helps because uh, I think, and I hate to sound completely prejudiced, but I think to men, it's the physical stuff, rides, food delivery, um, taking uh, a husband out for a walk or some kind of a social event. So there's a little bit of a break and, you know, from the grind of caregiving. I, I think having those practical items on some kind of a list, some kind of a card may help people with social connections. Uh, Jacobs also talks about how caregivers need to be much more expressive uh, about their feelings. I, I'm a man, so I do believe that I've seen that there are these things called feelings uh, in, <laughs> the, in and around with all my daughters and my wife and all the women in my life. I, I know, I acknowledge they exist, but uh, sometimes at a deeper level and uh, sometimes go, learning to go deeper uh, in our relationships is important. I think caregivers need to accept praise. You know, I, I see a lot of people say, ah, shucks. Uh, my youngest sister took care of my mom in the last three years of her life. My mom didn't have dementia. She had major physical problems. And every time I'd, I'd compliment my little sister and thank her for the great job she's doing for my mother, she'd just brush it off because we're, we're somehow not supposed to be proud of our work in caregiving. And yet, uh, accepting praise... 
uh, is just another way to connect to people and, and uh, show that uh, it starts a conversation. Hold your thought. We're going to come right back to you. I want to let folks who may have just joined us know you're listening to Caregiver SOS on air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Carol Zernio. We're talking with Mike Splain about a really important topic, loneliness in caregiving and loneliness in life. And Mike, is it uh, the low self-esteem or uh, not putting value in the work of caregiving that, that prevented your sister from accepting your thank you? I don't know. I think, I mean, you know, is one part. Um, I think she just was naturally humble. Uh, and, and But I think she's reinforced in being humble um, all the way around. Yeah. It's I mean, she now acknowledges, by the way, mom's been gone for over a year, and she now acknowledges oh. that she did a terrific job. And she did. And she did a job that none of us could have done. Yeah. And that's, you know, because that is part of the invisibility of the caregiver, right? Is not either not acknowledging that you're a caregiver or it's a thing I do. I'm family. I don't identify as a caregiver. All of that. And 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 particularly being a woman caregiver, it's all rolled up together. Yeah. And and what's and of course, it's very interesting as as you go across culturally in our very vast country. You know, the word caregiver is uh, not universal, and certainly um, we struggle. Uh, we've done a lot of work with tribal people, for example, on Alzheimer and caregiving issues in the last three years. Most tribal languages don't have a word for caregiver. It's just your family. So it's it, that adds to the invisibility or it adds into the, into the loneliness because uh, your full-time job as a caregiver may not even have a name. Uh, it's tough to think about. You know, we talk about that here across the border in Mexico and here in San Antonio, so many people of Hispanic descent. There's no comparable word for caregiving in their language. Right. So I think it's something to think about. But, you know, uh, but it factually, you know, why is loneliness such an important thing to pay attention to? It's not healthy. Uh, loneliness and social isolation in the big picture, but a public health picture, which as my friends from Virginia say is the health of all y'all, in the public health scheme, uh, social isolation is not healthy, not only at the individual level, but for our society. And we saw that from the epidemic. We saw, uh, and I think we're going to be reaping some of the difficulties that have come from amazing amounts of social isolation from the epidemic for years to come. You know, it's interesting about isolation and and the pandemic. Uh, When New York City had its blackout many years ago, they saw a huge increase in birth rates nine months later. Out of the pandemic, they haven't seen that. Uh, And and I I guess it's symbolic of how alone and lonely people were, even in families. Yeah. Well, and I think the economic uncertainty compared to the good times of the New York City blackout. And remember, that was just one night. Uh, (laughs) I think there's uh, a lot to think about uh, the the epidemic over two years. But about, you know, over 30 percent, you know, depending on the research you read, 17 to 50 percent. So let's just say 30 percent of live-in caregivers of people with dementia report great loneliness. And that's something that's a significant enough that we need to pay more of attention to it, help people give a name to it and process different alternatives such as they are, because many times we are, in fact, painted into the caregiver corner. Do people who are lonely know they're lonely? I would I think so, but they may not have a word for it. 
they may have they may have the feeling but they may not be able to quite put a finger on it well so what about the caregiver who knows they're lonely is trying to reach out but a lot of people don't want to talk about you know oh she's a caregiver someone with dementia that's an unpleasant topic and you know they kind of you, you find out who your friends are and aren't if you're a caregiver for particularly with someone with dementia yeah, I think that's true, but I but Rosalind Carter said it best, bless her. She said, you know, three kinds of people in the world: people that are caregivers, people that have been caregivers, or people that are gonna be caregivers. And given the prevalence of dementia, we're over six million with Alzheimer's or related dementia in the United States. I think I think it's getting easier and easier to break the ice in that conversation than it was certainly 10 years ago, five years ago, 30 years ago. That's how long my career in this field goes back to 1986. So I can see the sweep of change that's come about. You mentioned Rosalind Carter, and, and she is at the moment uh, doing her last caregiving act for Jimmy Carter as he is in hospice. And what an amazing family. Uh, absolutely. And, uh, you know, and and I'm sure, like many families, she's had to throw a couple of elbows to find a way to let him go in peace. Uh, this is a constant uh, refrain that I hear in uh, our age set uh, who have aging parents who uh, may be fragile or frail. What, what is it? Uh, explain that. Well, just that uh, over me too much medical treatment, being able to say no to uh, use advanced directives, uh, to be able to say no to uh, advanced life-sustaining treatment that just may be too much. Uh, what the Brits call futile care sometimes. They talk about uh, unnecessary or futile care of uh, very older people. We're going to come right back to you in just a moment. A fascinating conversation. Mike Splain is with us. Carol Zerniel, our co-host, is here. We're talking about loneliness in caregiving and in life. I'm Ron Aaron. Stick with us right here on Caregiver SOS On Air. The WellMed Charitable Foundation would like to remind you it is important to stay connected while social distancing. Caregiver stress may be higher now, and specialists are available to talk with. There's no question that we are living in not normal times, but whether the new normal will be the old normal is yet to be seen. So if you are troubled, if you are feeling stressed, ask for help. Services are provided at no cost. See more at caregiversos.org. Hello, friend. We really appreciate you sticking with us right here on Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Carol Zerniel. Mike Splain is with us. We're talking about loneliness in caregiving. He's the owner and principal of Splain Consulting, a small advocacy and government affairs consulting firm in Washington, D.C. And as we talk about loneliness, uh, what kind of interventions do you recommend? Uh, how do you help people who are lonely? Well, let me let me back up and say talk about something at the system level, and then come back to individuals. Sure. I, I think at the systems level, uh, many groups have advocated for, and I know Carol's been on the National Raise Caregiver Task Force. There's a lot of conversation about in medical records or in social care records identifying people as caregivers, uh, kind of as an early warning that they may have depression, they may have loneliness, they may have difficulty. 
Uh, I think that uh, from a systems point of view, as we understand the health, the public health impact of loneliness and social isolation, that's probably some form of that's probably a good idea. Uh, just as we would want to ask uh, people if they have thinking problems as they come in for routine medical care, because our brains are really important to the rest of our health, you may have noticed. On the individual level, I think, uh, I, I think you know, connecting is uh, maybe really hard uh, when you're a caregiver, but I think it's really the only answer is, and what do you do? Um, people learn how to use social media. People learn how to be friends with folks on and, and make up uh, or become part of new uh, communities. We've identified, for example, we've identified over 150 online communities of Alzheimer caregivers that are constantly talking to each other, supporting each other uh, at a distance. Uh, this is this is an interesting phenomena that uh, of our age that people don't have to necessarily uh, connect with their kid who lives in Seattle. They can they can go online and and find online support. Yeah. In fact, we just got a letter from a woman in England who's been participating in a support group that's headed here in San Antonio, Texas, because she said when the pandemic started, there was nothing in England. She takes care of her mother who has Alzheimer's and she found us. She found our support group online and has been participating for over a year. Well, and while mom and, and with the time zones. She can get on the. She can. She can let mom sleep while she gets in the support group. It's kind of perfect. Uh, my mom used to play bridge with people in England all the time because she wasn't a good sleeper, and uh, the time zones worked for her. So it's something you know. It's uh, so I think it isn't all wrapped up in technology, but I do think there are folks that have found refuge, community, and support. Um, I think there's a prevention aspect here. I mean, we joke about it. I'm 68, my wife's 69. We joke about uh, building our intentional community of support now. I, I think there really is a, those of us that have lived long enough to have parents into their 80s and 90s can imagine we could be that old. And what can we do now? I think there's things we can do. We're doing physically. I told you earlier when we were off air that we've just moved our laundry up to the second floor. We're looking at uh, either an elevator because we want to live in this house until we die. I mean, at the same time, look at it psychologically. Who are our friends? Who have we stayed in touch with? Uh, who are our new friends that we need to make that might be younger than us? And, um, and maybe, um, just maybe, uh, do we entertain the idea that it's probably not the worst thing in the world to live in a multi-generational family? I think from an economic and social isolation point of view, I think there are people that are choosing multi-generational families. And we may very well see by the end of, by, by 2030 or 2040, looking at data, we may see the end of this blip in human history where Every family lives in their isolation in their own home. Yeah, you know, there were the articles that have come out of Japan where Japan in the 60s adopted the single family dwelling like the United States had. And now they've had these giant housing complexes where older Japanese per people are living alone. And, and the story I read had uh, a woman who had a house below the complex. You know, the woman uh, up in the tower was afraid she would die and no one would know it. And she paid the woman in the block below her to look and see if her curtain was open every morning so that somebody would know if she was alive. Wow. 
Um, and that really tells you, I mean, because they did used to live in multi-generational housing. Used to, and Mike, used to sign 99-year mortgages with three generations. Uh, to follow up on what you were saying, Mike, Dr. Jamie Heisman, psychotherapist with whom we do a segment called Take 10, often talks about families of choice as opposed to families who are biologically related. And what I hear you saying is expanding and incorporating those families of choice into your life. Yeah, and take out, you know, I, I've I've told this to caregivers, take out your old address book and, oh, my God, use a stamp. You would be surprised. Again, the prevalence of caregiving is your friend, whether it's dementia caregiving or other caregiving. It is our friend when we reach out to people. Uh, pull out that pull out that old Christmas card list uh, and and be brave and send, you know, send simple notes, uh, pen and paper magic. Uh, you because you'd be surprised how many people are in the same boat, uh, and so instead of living on your little island of misery as a caregiver, uh, realize that you know there are a lot of people on on that island that you could connect with. And but you that, mentioned that's when... really important distinctions talking about being proactive. You know, we talk about self care. We tell we tell caregivers to think about themselves but also encouraging them to be proactive if they're lonely. It's not just about getting enough rest and, and eating and exercising. That interaction can be a lifesaver. Yeah. And you talked when we first began, Mike, about uh, people with uh, dementia, Alzheimer's, who are still living alone. What, what is that community like? Well, the online community is both for learning and more and, and moral and psychological support. It's small. Uh, it's a, it's by invitation. It's a it's a private Facebook group called Living Alone and Connected. It's moderated, and um, on a, about a six week schedule, we'll do a series of educational. Uh, events, uh, activities just for the group. Uh, there's a companion page called Living Alone Connected. It's a Facebook page that's open to anybody that we post useful information, we think, for people who are living alone. So it's, um, and, and then uh, with very light moderation, uh, it's, a, it's a community. It's an online community of people that are uh, interested in supporting each other as they try to live alone with dementia. Most national, I mean, the most of what you hear about live alones and dementia is the authorities, uh, the demographic authorities will write things like 20% of people with Alzheimer's disease in the United States live alone, and we don't know much more. One more thing I would say is many, many live, as uh, the great researcher Elena Portacolone in this area says, they live lives of precarity. They are fearful, uh, perhaps, that they will be found out. They are fearful that they will lose their independence. Uh, they are fearful, um, maybe even more fearful than a dementia caregiver, about somebody taking over their lives if they should become known. So I think this private Facebook group uh, is an outlet for a lot of those feelings. I don't moderate it. I have a professional moderator because not a doctor or a psychologist, and I don't want to play one on the Internet even. So they know they have dementia, but they don't want anyone else to know. Sometimes. And yet some of the, some of the folks that are members of the group are quite out there and active taking the risk. I, I think they probably have been taking risks their whole lives. Yeah. And, and, and one of the federal grants uh, for persons living along with Alzheimer's, the Wellmed Charitable Foundation received 
um, we help people, either caregivers and or people who live alone with Alzheimer's to come to a local park. Uh, and the people with Alzheimer's learn skills to maintain living alone. So they get to, you know, with mild cognitive impairment to early Alzheimer's, how do they maintain their independence longer? That's a park here in San Antonio, Morgan's Wonderland, which is a park designed uh, to help people of all abilities and disabilities. Interesting. Yeah, have yeah. to see it the next time you I'm in San come, Antonio. You will have to come. It's down. an amazing, amazing place. Amazing. I don't, I, I don't think I've ever gone to Morgan's Wonderland without crying, because wow. it's so amazing. It's so amazing. Yeah. And yeah, Morgan was obviously a person. <laughs> Morgan is a person. Yes. Uh, all right. Yes. Yeah. Morgan is. Uh, the daughter of the founder who suffers from a variety of uh, mental disabilities, and he named the park after her, and he has really devoted his life to providing help and assists for her. Yeah. So it's so, amazing. Next time you're here, we'll take you there. All yeah, right. but uh, but the again, it's that intention. It's how do a, we talk about building community? How do we build a community for people who live alone with Alzheimer's, for caregivers to congregate, whether it's virtual, whether it's uh, you know actually in uh, our towns, uh, but to think about them and make them visible. Now we are flat out of time. For those who want to learn more about you and what you do, Mike, how do they get a hold of you? Uh, Mike, it's Plan Consulting. We're we're all over the internet. Living Alone and Connected is the uh, Facebook page. And get in touch with the WellMed folks because they certainly know how to find me too if Perfect. all else fails. Well, thank you. Appreciate you being here. Uh, Mike Splain. And for Carol Zernil, our co-host, I'm Ron Aaron. We will talk with you again soon right here on Caregiver SOS On Air. Executive producers for Caregiver SOS On Air are Carol Zerniel and Ron Aaron. Our associate producer is Christy Romero. I'm Ron Aaron. We'll see you next week on Caregiver SOS On Air. You've been listening to Caregiver SOS On Air, an exclusive presentation of the WellMed Charitable Foundation. We welcome emails with suggestions and comments on this program at radio at wellmed.net. Join co-hosts Carol Zerniel and Ron Aaron next week for more on caregiving, improving the health and well-being of caregivers and their care recipients everywhere. For more on caregiving and podcasts of our programs, visit caregiversos.org. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.